Welcome to FRT, the IAF podcast on the intersection of finance, regulation and technology. I'm Brad Carr, and as we enter the holiday season, we have a special here for you for FRT episode 56. My colleague Mary Frances Munro leads the IAF's insurance practice, and we bring you a conversation she recorded during the IAF annual membership meeting on October 18. Mary Frances speaks with Tom Wilson, not the beloved enforcer of our local Washington Capitals ice hockey team, but rather the Chief Risk Officer of Allianz. And as well as his senior capacity at Allianz, Tom is also the Chair of the IAF's Insurance Regulatory Committee. We bring you an extract of this conversation between Mary Frances and Tom, where they discuss the potential of InsureTech and some of the potential policy considerations. Their full conversation also covers the broader agenda of the IAF Insurance Regulatory Committee, and it can be found on the IAF website as part of our Global Regulatory Update podcast. Tom has some great insights on the impacts of InsureTech disruption on business models and the economics of the industry, and also on the emerging field of cyber insurance. Let's turn now to hear Mary Francis and Tom Wilson. One of the new work streams that we will be discussing at the IRC this afternoon relates to the disaggregation of the insurance business model and the growth of InsureTech. I'd just like to explore your observations about the growth of InsureTech and some of the positive and negative impacts of InsureTech. Yeah, I think InsureTech is a phrase with potentially multiple different definitions. I think if we start from a definition where InsureTech is the leveraging of digital or technological advances and IT-related advances to support the insurance business system, that's one aspect. And very clearly, InsureTech then is quite useful. And in fact, most insurance companies, most incumbents are actually pursuing InsureTech agendas uh, with some fervor, whether it's in terms of offering 24-7 customer accessibility, in terms of research online, purchase offline, combined multi-channel strategy. So on the distribution end, as well as in terms of customer lifetime value management, whether it be in terms of improving underwriting processes by leveraging big data in terms of better segmentation, better pricing, uh, and product innovation. So for example, offering usage-based insurance products, whether for driving, for health, et cetera. Or in administration, in terms of straight through processing, in terms of uh, uh, leveraging better efficiencies to not only cut costs, but also to improve the customer experience along the entire change. And finally, in claims, whether it be in terms of uh, filing claims, optical character recognition, or AI used to interpret photographs of uh, car damage, for example, fraud detection, et cetera. There's a lot of different points where technology is currently being considered and actively leveraged along the insurance value chain across the entire chain, but that's probably not where we're going. I think InsureTech in general as a disruptive exercise or as a disruptive phrasing, not in terms of supporting incumbents' existing business model. I think that's really the direction of the question that you were asking. Well, yes, I think we're looking at both the positive and the negatives. How significant do you think the disruption will be for the insurance business? I think the disruption in terms of the insurance business depends on a couple of different things. Let me put forth a couple of observations and then try to knit it together to a coherent story. First, insurance historically has been sold rather than bought, or at least that's been the perception. Second is the economics of insurance, not retirement and savings, rather a property and casualty. The economics of insurance for us at 27 cents of every euro is spent on acquisition and expenses. So our expense ratio in PNC is 27, of which 21 is acquisition. About six or seven is uh, administration, and then claims represent 63, 64 cents, 
and the remainder is profit, about six to seven cents of every euro. If you look at that chain and you consider where are the likely areas where if you had to target insurance companies for disruption, where along that value chain would you try to target, right? Very clearly at 21 cents of acquisition expenses in our example, that is a reasonably rich potential profit pool, if you will, with up until now without a lot of regulatory oversight. In other words, it's not a prudential issue. It's not a prudential balance sheet issue. We can get to that later because I think there does need to be regulatory reform, especially with regards to customer interfacing. Uh, but that's a, clearly an area that where insure techs will likely to be target uh, to the extent to which they can tap into a very large profit pool or expense pool without regulatory uh, overlay. On the underwriting side, in terms of underwriting decisions and balance sheet, insure tech is, may or may not choose to, to create or make rather than buy a product. And that will be dependent upon the regulatory burden. That will be dependent upon how complex it is to set up the organization. Then administration, uh, you we're already seeing the rise of third-party administrators that can gain greater scale in terms of managing and administering products. But we're also seeing on the claim servicing side, we're seeing services being offered in terms of uh, uh, aggregation, in terms of providing greater information, greater links to, for example, healthcare providers or, or garages or repair shops, et cetera. So each element of our value chain can, in principle, be attacked by InsureTech to the extent to which they can offer lower cost, better access, and a better customer experience. Those will be ultimately the, the conditions which would drive the success of InsureTech. Now, on the customer side or uh, being bought rather than sold, I think uh, if tapping into the 21 cents, that will be determined by how likely is insurance and insurance products to be bought as opposed to sold. It will be a lot easier to disrupt our value chain to the extent to which standardized products can be interpreted by financially literate individuals or supported by AI to make individuals literate. If they become bought, then you're more likely to see penetration and or disruption on the front end of that value chain. Thank you. And before we leave this topic, you talked about regulatory reform and the need for regulatory reform. I'd like to explore that a little bit more with you. <laughs> you know, there are a couple old paradigms. Insurance is sold rather than bought. That's an old paradigm that has the possibility to be overturned through technological advancement and a more mature and more literate customer base. The other is that insurance manages or controls the, the sales that the insurance company sells. In the brave new world of potentially disrupted or insure tech, it is not clear whether that paradigm will continue. So for example, an insurance company in the past may have had agents and those agents were completely controlled. The scripts that the agents read, the type of documentation that the agents provided, compensation of the agents, the relative mix between compensation, loss ratios, et cetera, they're all pretty much within the insurance company's domain to manage appropriately. In the brave new world, if we, for example, consider the, the 21 cents or distributing through ecosystems, or through uh, other providers, it's not clear that the insurance company, that paradigm that the insurance company manages uh, from soup to nuts, from uh, uh, customer acquisition all the way to claim settlement, but the insurance company can still be deemed to manage that. Now, this has major consequences because the ecosystems, whether it be a comparison site, whether it be a marketplace such as an Amazon or something else, 
These ecosystems, they are trying to capture as much of the consumer and producer surplus as they can, right? And they are able to offer quite a, a bit of volume, but naturally in their pursuit of capturing as much of the consumer and producer surplus, they're going to be very much focused on the commissions on cost of distribution. In addition, they may optimize their procedures in terms of nudging customers to various solutions, depending on their interests as opposed to the customer interests. And it's very difficult or maybe more difficult for an insurance company to manage the relationship with a provider that offers a billion, two billion worth of premium versus an agency, right? Where we do control the script, we do control the commissions, we do control it's sold. It's a fundamentally different world. Now, the reason why I raise this is because a lot of the insurance regulatory discussion on big data, on insure tech, it starts from the old paradigm. Uh, there's an example of an IIS paper on big data. It's a fantastic paper, but one of the most telling things is uh, right up front, they say where data is processed and held by intermediaries uh, or generated by intermediaries, the issues identified in this paper will also be applicable as and when appropriate. In these circumstances, references to insurer in the paper would include insurance intermediary. So they're lumping them back. They're not distinguishing the fact that InsureTech has the possibility to completely uproot and turn on its head the paradigm that the insurance company manages every point, including all aspects of distribution, whether it be nudging or whether it be advising, whether it be the commission levels, et cetera. And I think this is the big failure if you will, in terms of the insure tech regulatory dialogue today. The game has changed uh, or the game has the potential to change to the extent to which the insurance company or the traditional regulated insurance company is no longer the primary manager of the distribution, the documentation, the way customers are advised and or nudged, et cetera. Right. Well, that certainly calls for more dialogue with IAIS because I think it became uh, clear in the process of reviewing the most recent issues paper, draft issues paper on the use of big data analytics by insurance, that there may be some gaps in the understanding of the supervisors as to how much change is underway in the insurance business and some of the implications for that change. So I think that that's an area in the coming year where we could engage in some constructive conversation. Let me give you an example. Right now, the the industry in the IAIS is pretty much focused from, a, let's start from the regulated sandbox, if you will, and then we'll, we'll see how to, within our current frameworks, how we adapt them, right? The fact of the matter is that no matter what type of controls you put in terms of the, the data that an insurance company uses, what type of controls you put upon the interpretability of black box underwriting algorithms, no matter what kind of controls you put, uh, if you go to a, a, an, a use or an end product or an end result-based regulatory framework, which looks at whether or not de facto customers are perceived to be discriminated against, et cetera, you're going to run a problem because the insurance company is not the only player in this chain anymore, right? So the fact that an ecosystem can gently nudge customers to capture more of the consumer and producer surplus into solutions, this fact and the fact that the ecosystem can use data that may be, may be highly correlated with, for example, gender uh, 
race, religion, etc., in an in an environment which is very intransparent, and in an approach which is very intransparent under black box underwriting, not even underwriting, just how do you get the appropriate value proposition to customers? The end result, even if the insurance underwriting, even if you got a well controlled underwriting process with regards to what data can you use, uh, how do you interpret the results, and can you interpret the results, even if that little block is done, if you look at the end result, you still may, according to financial conduct regulation, you may still come up with results which don't meet emerging societal norms with regards to the results. So I think the IAAS or regulators need to look it's not just you know what starting from the regulated dinosaur, which is the traditional insurance underwriting model. I think the IAS needs to broaden its scope and say if the end product is what we want, is the results that we want, what other players are in here and how do they interact and what are their motivations in terms of capturing a lot of the consumer and producer surplus. In a nutshell, I think the regulatory environment, regulators, especially on the conduct side, need to open up their lens. And instead of focusing narrowly on the insurance group, which they have well under control, Mm -hmm. they need to broaden it to understand in this brave new world, the other players and the incentives of those other players and how those incentives lead them to actions which may or may not influence the very narrow scope, which is insurance. Absolutely. And they also need to coordinate with the authorities responsible for data privacy and data protection in order to understand some of the dynamics around the use of data and, as you mentioned, the ethical use of data, which is very, very critical. Let's shift for a second to another emerging topic that has been the subject of a recent IIF paper, and we also understand that it is the topic of a new working group at the IAIS and that is dealing with cyber risk. And we're not talking about cyber resilience here. We're actually talking about the underwriting of cyber risk. I wanted to get your thoughts on on this uh, area as a new topic for IRC attention and also more generally as a topic of importance for the industry going forward. Mary Frances, I think it's a a critical topic, um, both from an industry perspective as well as from a regulatory perspective, because I do believe that there are regulatory issues that can be productively addressed to support a broader and more vibrant market. From an industry perspective, very clearly against the potential for declining uh, premium or declining business in other sectors due to a variety of different uh, megatrends, the share economy, for example, et cetera. Cyber is a potential, offers a potential uh, as we fundamentally shift from owned property to services and intellectual property, very clearly cyber insurance can be a great growth area. And my company, as well as other companies, are very active in helping to develop that particular market. The issues that we face are a couple, and the issues are, in some sense, areas where regulators should also be thinking. Um, One has to do with the the old question between silent cyber or non-affirmative, how much cyber risk is embedded in, for example, our traditional property covers today, which may not be specifically uh, mentioned and or excluded versus affirmative. I think in general, the industry is making strides on an individual company by company basis as appropriate for a competitive uh, industry in terms of refining the terms and conditions of various contracts. Uh, what I'm seeing is that different com- country companies are coming up with very different terms and conditions to move from 
uh, uh, silent cyber or non-affirmative to affirmative. I think in general, it behooves everyone to move to affirmative, to very clearly identify and be able to manage the potential accumulation exposures from cyber. So I think the individual actors are, are behaving very rationally and very appropriately. I think for an industry-wide, uh, the collective actions are in the right direction. The question that I would have is, can regulators help support convergence in terms of terms and conditions? Because to the extent to which contract wordings uh, in some contracts offer exclusions and some don't, we're in a, a transitional period, right? From marine hull or uh, aviation hull, it's been around for, for decades, right? So the, the industry has converged already. We are pre-convergence. And so one question would be, uh, can regulators support or can a broader industry body without uh, raising the specter of collusion or something else, can, can they help support a more rapid convergence in terms of uh, uh, the, the identification or rather the definition of affirmative versus non-affirmative? That's a, a clear area where I think support and or industry-wide thought needs to be brought to bear. Now, eventually, I know we're going to get there as an industry, uh, just like in marine hull or aviation hull. Eventually, we're going to get there, but can we make it a, a little bit faster? The other aspect, though, is the aspect of accumulation. I'm the chief risk officer of Allianz, and quite frankly, I am somewhat concerned by accumulation scenarios. And the accumulation scenarios are not property-driven. Peak accumulation scenarios are actually driven by antagonistic actors who may, in a concerted effort, impact large segments of the real economy, whether it be North Korea, China, Russia, etc. And these types of accumulated scenarios can't be ruled out, as far as I can tell. We've run scenarios of uh, uh, trade wars morphing into cyber wars, morphing into limited land wars. And these are scenarios that we think about. And ultimately, this type of peak exposure uh, or this scenario is going to limit capacity, right? I mean, it, it, it will. So to the extent to which regulators can think through or help the industry to think through, uh, these exposures will exist. The next question is how in terms of conditions, and I don't think it's an underwriting issue. I think it, these exposures, these accumulations will always exist. This is an underwriting. This is just a natural consequence. Uh, how can we potentially remove the potential for accumulations against a, I'll use the phrase cyber terrorist, uh, how can we remove those potential accumulation limits for insurers such that we can provide a base level that covers the day-to-day -day risks that insurance is capable of managing and supporting industry? That's an area that I think could use some thought uh, very productively. Do you see a role for the public sector getting more involved directly in the provision of cyber cover? I don't know. There are various solutions in terms of peak exposures, right? So one solution is like TRIPRA for terrorist cover and or public provision. You can picture national support functions in terms of natural catastrophes to pick up uninsured. So there's, there's public provision. There is also, for example, the definition of what constitutes a terrorist event against which insurance uh, companies' coverage may not be applicable, it, whether it's governmental provision of some type, whether it is trying to narrow down the scope for the insurance balance sheet so that we can cover those risks which are, are meaningful to be covered in an insurance context as opposed to very, very extreme peak exposures driven by something that is not a natural phenomenon. Um, I don't know where the solution is. 
but I do think that ultimately, unless we come to a solution, the capacity to the market will be limited. It's as simple as that. A number of really interesting insights from Tom there. Firstly, the potential for constructive application of InsureTech by incumbent firms, such as big data for better segmentation and pricing. And that's a topic that we're going to pick up early in the new year with Douglas Flint, as well as also the easier claim submissions with effective fraud detection. But then secondly, I thought it was a great overview of the insurance model that Tom gave, and specifically the economics of the value chain. And his point that the acquisitions part is the space that is profit-rich, subject to less regulation, and perhaps the most attractive target for disruptors. And then thirdly, Tom's identification of cyber insurance as a potential growth sector, though with its concerns on the way that it may lead to the accumulation of exposures to specific bad actors. It's also very interesting how Tom links this growth in cyber to the shift in the economy from the emphasis on physical property and towards services and intellectual property. Once again, you can hear the full conversation between Mary Francis and Tom as part of the IEF's GRU podcast, which also brings you other themes from across the regulatory world. Looking ahead and into 2020 and coming up on FRT, I'll be speaking with Linda Jang of Georgetown University and formerly of the Federal Reserve, where she led the development of the recent Bail Committee paper on open banking. Then we hit the road again and we head to Switzerland. We have an IIF board meeting in Zurich, and that's where I'll speak with Standard Life Aberdeen Chairman Douglas Flint. And we'll also bring you some key takeaways from the World Economic Forum in Davos. Please tune in again for those upcoming episodes via the IIF website and on all podcast apps. I'm Brad Carr, and thanks for joining us on FRT. 